listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. Hey, what is up, Podcast Nation, Podcast family, podcast crew, podcast buddies. It was at that moment Ted realized he didn't have a name for his listeners. We'll have to work on that. Anyway, welcome back. You know what day it is? It's Tuesday, which means it's podcast day. I got something fresh and new for you again this week. Looking forward to bringing it to you. I am currently in Horseheads, New York. Yes, that is a real place. Horseheads, New York. That's Southern New York on the border of Pennsylvania. Why am I here? We just finished the Uproar Conference, Uproar 18, with my friend, Pastor Cody Spencer, what I consider to be one of the greatest youth conferences in the nation, and uh, it was Holy Ghost and Fire the whole way through, and it was exciting to see how many young people, we probably had, I'd say twelve or 1,300 young people on fire for God. All these sessions, people hungry. I mean, we're in first arena in Elmira, New York, which is like a hockey arena. And uh, it was amazing that when altar calls were given, I mean, people were jumping out of the stands, jumping over the hockey barrier, the wall, the little wall there to get to the altar to get in on the Holy Ghost and receive an impartation. So it was absolutely powerful. And uh, so I finished here this week and I'm getting ready to leave tomorrow for uh Toronto, Ontario, where my father's holding his Canadian camp meeting. So people ask me, what is your pre-podcast routine? What's your schedule before a podcast? Well, I'll tell you what happened tonight. Got myself a half a rack of ribs and ate them right here in the hotel. My fingers are still sticky, y'all, and we're getting ready to get into this. It's going to be a great day. Hey, once again, thanks for everybody that's listening to the podcast. Let me say this. Uh, last week's podcast, Are We Singing Unscriptural Worship Songs, uh, was by far our most listened to podcast episode in history. And um, amazing that the next closest to it uh, was a podcast we re- released a couple of months ago that my wife and I did together on marriage. And uh, it, what it took that podcast episode two months to receive in listenership Uh, This one blew past in less than seven days. So apparently that was an issue that people were very much thinking about. uh, And I got a lot of great feedback and response. um, And and people thankfully understood I was not vilifying the writer of the song or the song itself necessarily, but just bringing scriptural light to it. A lot of great, great, great feedback from that podcast episode. Share it with somebody. That's why. I appreciate when people are sharing the podcast, uh, the word of God gets out. People are encouraged. I had people writing me saying, I've never heard of your podcast before. And uh, somebody turned me on to it from this last episode. I loved it. I'll be a regular listener from now on. And uh, that means a lot to me. So today I want to encourage you guys once again, share it on Instagram, share it on your Facebook, Twitter, send it to somebody in a text message and let them know uh, about the podcast means a whole lot to me. Uh, We've been getting people asking questions and today's podcast topic is going to be an answer to a question we recently received via social media. And uh, we've I've got several, actually, that are 
in a queue that I'm going to do podcasts to answer these questions. And so I wanted to say that because I appreciate you guys engaging, sending questions. I read everything you guys send and respond to as much as possible, but it all comes right to my phone. I read everything you guys send and I really appreciate you doing it. I will do my best to answer your questions. And if it's a larger topic like it is today, I'm just going to do a full podcast on it. And this is a phenomenal topic, as you saw in the title. Is it possible for Christians to live sin free? Is it possible for Christians to live sin free? Um, We're going to cover that today. Uh, But that question came in recently. I've got a couple guests coming up on the podcast in the upcoming weeks. My wife is going to be back on with me, Carolyn Shuttlesworth. And if you haven't checked her out on Instagram television yet, go check her out on our Instagram. Uh, My name is at Ted Shuttlesworth. Hers at care seven on Instagram. And we're going to be posting these weekly. She just recorded a bunch of new ones and they're going to be phenomenal. So uh, go and follow us on there and check those out. But she's going to be jumping back on the podcast with me soon. And then my favorite worship leader in the entire world, Miss Jenya Jackson from Abundant Life Church is going to be jumping on the podcast with me soon, and uh, we're going to be doing some worship-based podcasts, maybe answering some questions like the five uh, most common mistakes in worship, things like that. She taught with me last year, or excuse me, the beginning of this year at our very first worship summit, a conference that we do in South Florida in the wintertime that is focused on praise, worship, technical aspects, the word aspects. In fact, we're getting ready to announce the dates for Worship Summit 2019 in uh, not very long from now. So stay tuned for that. You're going to want to be a part of it. All right, so let's jump in today to this subject. Um, Is it possible for Christians to live sin-free? Is it possible for Christians to live sin-free? That might seem like a basic question to some of my listeners, but let me say this. It is a question that gets asked all the time, all the time. There's a huge contingent of people that don't believe it's possible for a Christian to live the rest of their life until they die or until Jesus returns without sinning ever again. They think that's an impossible thing and it's an impossible standard to hold people to. That's their thought process. But today I want to show you from the word of God, what I believe is our standard. It is our goal as Christians. And uh, I wanted to start by looking in the, the gospel of John, because here is a story that I'm getting ready to show you that took place before Jesus Christ died, before he shed his blood Uh, And obviously before redemption's story was completed. So uh, the people that Jesus is talking to uh, have not even received a full new covenant from his blood being shed on the cross. So in essence, you look at these stories, they're still living under an old covenant. They're still living in an Old Testament practice. But Jesus is, you know, obviously bridging the gap and he's he's teaching uh, from a New Testament perspective, some of these things that he's saying could not even be possible without his empowerment. And I'm going to show you an example of that. And this is found in John chapter five, the gospel of John chapter five. The Bible says that uh, there's a, there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate, a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. And in these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, paralyzed. And one man was there who'd been an invalid for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and knew 
that he'd already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? And the sick man answered him, sir, I've got nobody to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who'd been healed, it's the Sabbath and it's not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, the man who healed me that said to me, take up your bed and walk. He said, who is this man that healed you and said, take up your bed and walk. Now the man who'd been healed didn't know who it was for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. And afterwards, now here's what we're getting to. Look at this verse 14. And afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you're well, sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. Sin no more. The King James says, go and sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. Go and sin no more. So Jesus in an old covenant situation speaks to this man that he just healed and commands him, go and sin no more. Do not sin ever again. Think about that for a second. Jesus before even shedding his blood, Jesus before saying it is finished, before the veil was torn, before the spirit of God was released into the earth as an empowerment, Jesus commands this man that he just healed, go and sin no more so that something worse may not come upon you. You go three chapters later in the gospel of John and you'll know what you'll find, the story of the woman who was caught in the act of adultery. And the Bible says that they drug her out into the the city square and they were all ready to stone her and kill her for her sin. Jesus bent down and began to write in in the sand. And once he looked up, the Bible says the old men drifted away from the crowd first, the young men last. Finally, by the time Jesus was done writing in the sand, there was nobody left standing around the woman to accuse her or to throw a stone at her. Jesus said, where are your accusers? And she said, I don't know, Lord. And he said, neither do I accuse you. Go and sin no more. So the same thing he told to the man that he healed, he told to the woman who he forgave. Go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. Now, I want you to think about this. When Jesus gives you a command, he also empowers you to obey it. Because God is just, He's never going to command you to do something that is impossible to do. So when Jesus gives you a command, he also empowers you to do it. And when Jesus commanded the man and this woman to go and never sin again, he also empowered them to live the rest of their lives until they died without ever sinning again. Jesus did that by his spoken word, by the power of his word told them, go and don't sin. And when he said that, he meant it. If Jesus had given them a command that they had no ability to obey, then he would be an unjust, unrighteous God. But that's not who God is. That's not who Christ is. When he gives a command, it's because he's also empowered you to obey the command. And so I want you to see that even in an old covenant, before Christ died and rose again and ascended into heaven, he had already dealt out the command, go and sin no more. And literally, those people were empowered to obey that command. Now, you also need to recognize that that is Jesus' desire for every believer. 
that they live free from sin. One of the things that uh, I need to cover with you quickly is we need to ask the question, is it possible You know, if we're going to ask the question, is it possible for a Christian to live sin free? I think the first question we should ask, and this sounds so stupid, but let me tell you something. The way things are going today, people believe like this. We need to ask this question first. Is it possible for Christians to sin? Is it possible for a Christian to even sin? Did you know that there are people who don't really believe it's possible for a Christian to sin because of the fact that Uh, Once you get saved, or I mean, you know, if they would argue that you can't sin, they would argue it this way, that even if you did sin, sin doesn't matter. There are people who believe, especially in this hyper grace generation, that sin doesn't matter. Don't worry, that's going to be a whole other podcast where we're going to deal with this hyper, this thought about hyper grace or, uh, you know, grace that's been, you know, overdosed and overboard. It's insane. Uh, But in that generation, there are people that believe your sins as a Christian don't matter because they teach this, that you, when, when, when Christ saved you or when he shed his blood for you, your past, present and future sins were all forgiven. And therefore you don't even have any need for repentance because what are you going to do that God didn't already know you were going to do before he forgave you? And so therefore, why do you need to repent if you're already forgiven of all your sins? Then what's the point of repentance? And they'll even argue that 1 John chapter 1, where the Bible tells us to repent, uh, is not written to Christians. Well, that's not for Christians. It was for people outside the church. That's ludicrous. It's not true. And one of the proofs that we have that it's possible for Christians to sin is that Paul wrote in his letters back to every church with the exception of maybe Ephesus in the the book of Ephesians and commanded Christians to stay clear and stay free from sin. In fact, he would even write in, in his pastoral epistles like Timothy and Titus and encourage those younger men to flee youthful lusts. He was telling them those things are going to be there. They're going to tempt you. You're going to want to do those things. They are things that draw you in. It's a youthful lust. It'll try to pull you away, but flee from it. Don't fall into it. Don't be, don't, don't be so weak in your Christian walk that you fall into temptation. So if, if first of all, if Christians could not sin or didn't have the ability, or if you want to look at it from a different perspective, if, if, if Christian sins didn't matter, then why did Paul waste so much parchment writing letters back to churches and encouraging Christians and his sons in the gospel to not fall into sin? Furthermore, if that's if that was really true, that Christians, their sins wouldn't matter because they're already past, present, and future sins are forgiven. And um and you know, there's nothing that you know, nothing that would surprise God. You know, blah blah blah. He knows what you were going to do before you did it, and he stealth he forgave you. It's already done. If that was the case, then why did Paul also write to churches like the the Corinthian church and say, if you've got people in your church that are calling themselves Christians that have received Christ but continue on living in unrepentant sin, why did he tell them to judge those people and cast them out of the church? And, you know, and you read throughout the Bible where a little bit of leaven leavens the whole lump, which means if you even let a little bit of sin in, it'll creep into every part of purity and you have to get it out before it can contaminate the entire uh, group of people. 
So Paul made very strict uh, commands regarding this. You know, he'd say if there's people causing divisions in the church and sowing discord in the church, warn them once, warn them twice, then throw them out of the church. If people are living in unrepentant sin and don't care what's being preached and don't care what's being said, speak to them and then throw them out if they won't listen. Just excommunicate them. Paul gave these instructions. So, man, doesn't sound like he walked in love. Doesn't sound like Paul had any grace for people. On the contrary, Paul understood grace, wrote about grace, but he also understood the dangers of sin. And he wrote back to the churches and commanded them not to sin and told them that there would be consequences if they did. In fact, in his magnum opus, his epistle to the Romans, he he encouraged them very strongly and said the wages of sin is death. You know, sin will kill what it touches. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned. But thank God for the blood of Jesus. So we don't continue on into sin. In fact, when we get into Romans chapter six, he said, I know you're probably thinking since God's grace is so bountiful and it's everywhere and that every time that, you know, where sin abounds, grace does much more abound so that you're probably thinking, well, it must, it brings more glory to God when we, uh, when his grace is manifested after we sin. So he, he said to them, you're probably thinking then, you know what? We should keep on sinning so that God can receive more glory for his grace. And he said, God forbid, we should not live like that. We should not continue on in sin. In fact, Paul said it this way in Romans chapter six, sin shall no longer have dominion over you. Sin shall no longer have dominion over you. You are no longer under the bondage or the taskmaster, the slave driver of sin. Sin does not own you. So you're no longer forced to live a life that's filled with sin. You've now been empowered to live a holy life. See, and that's what it's, that's what being part of the new covenant, uh, a member of the new covenant's all about, that you have the ability and the power from heaven to live a holy life, to be separated, set apart, not like this world, not of this world. And then I want to show you this, that in the new Testament, believers are commanded by God through his holy word to live and be holy like he is holy. Very important that we see this. Now I want to talk to you for a minute uh, after I read you these verses of scripture from the book of first Peter about the difference between righteousness and holiness uh, in a moment. But this is so important in first Peter chapter one, the Bible says in verses 13, uh, we'll, we'll go through verse 16. The Bible says, therefore preparing your minds for action, And being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. See that? But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. That's the Lord talking. You shall be holy as I am holy or for I am holy. So Paul, or excuse me, for so Peter here is encouraging them as he who called you is holy, you also must be holy in all your conduct. 
So there's no way that God's going to inspire Peter to write this epistle and encourage the believers and command the believers to match the holiness of God. And the one that called you is holy, so you must be holy in all your conduct. For it's written, you shall be holy for I am holy. He's not going to command you to be holy like him if it's impossible for you to be holy and live a holy life as a believer, as a Christian. God, through his word, empowered you to be holy when you received his spirit into your body. When he imparted himself into you and recreated you and made you a new creature. The Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. One of those old things is the sin nature of your spirit. I want you to get this. One of those things is the sin nature of your spirit. That is one of the things that is passed away. And behold, that means take a look. All things have become new. So a sin nature has been removed from your spirit and a heavenly nature has been created. So now this new recreation that you are living in as a believer is a recreation of a heavenly nature on the inside of your body. Not a nature that desires to do evil, but a nature that desires to do what the Lord has commanded you in his word to do. Now we're going to get into in a minute, like I said, holiness versus righteousness. And then I'm also going to talk to you about flesh versus spirit. So when we see this, um, when we see this command here in the book of first Peter, where the Bible says the one who called you is holy. So you need to be holy in all your conduct. That's a clue right there in all of your conduct, in all of your conduct. So notice this, there's a difference between holiness and righteousness, Get this, so vitally important. There's a difference between holiness and righteousness. Holiness is taking actions that are pleasing to the Lord. Okay, if you're taking notes, you've got to write this down. Holiness is taking actions that are pleasing to the Lord. It's taking actions that are in obedience or in accordance with his holy word obeying God's word or obeying what he's commanded you to do. Righteousness, on the other hand, is a position that you hold with God when you get saved. Righteousness merely means right standing with God. And I want you to understand that you don't have your own righteousness. He has become your righteousness. It's so important. Even in the Old Testament, the Bible says that our righteousness is as filthy rags. So even, even in this generation, you know, you can't form your own righteousness. It would be impossible. Every man is dead in trespasses and in sins. The Bible says until Christ raised us up and seated us in heaven, seated us in heavenly places. God raised us up with Christ and seated us in heavenly places. We could not have done that. We couldn't even wake up out of our sin until the gospel came and woke us up. But so we, so we have to understand this, that you can't produce or make your own righteousness, but the Lord is our righteousness. The Bible says that even in the book of Jeremiah, the Lord is our righteousness. See, I want you to see this. The Bible says in, uh, in uh, well, actually, let's just turn to it. Second Corinthians chapter five. Uh, in Second Corinthians chapter five, very interesting passage of scripture here because it shows you how Christ did what you could never do 
so that you could become what you could never become. Very, very powerful. Let me read to you uh, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5 and verse 21. For our sake, God made him to be sin who knew no sin. Talking about Jesus there. God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So his de- his ability to defeat sin on the cross and to destroy the power of sin and to purchase our redemption gave us the ability to become in Christ, which means that we are now inside Christ experiencing the blessings that belong to Christ because we've been made one with Christ. That's what righteousness is. It is our position in Christ. It's our position in Christ. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter one and verse three, we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. Notice there are no blessings afforded to us outside of Christ. We are in Christ. Everyone who is a believer, every person that's a Christian is in Christ is in Christ. The Bible says, let's jump back a few verses in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, there it is again, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and behold, the new has come. So every person who's a believer, every Christian on the earth is in Christ. Our blessings are in Christ, Ephesians 1, 3. Our righteousness is in Christ. So notice, it's not our righteousness, it's his. We just get to partake of it because we are in him. We are in him. So here's the thing. There's a difference between holiness and righteousness. Righteousness is our position before God. We are in right standing before God. Holiness, on the other hand, is the actions we take with our free will that are in accordance or obedience with God's holy word. When I choose to obey God, that's why, notice, that's why Peter said, because the one who called you is holy, you must be holy in all of your conduct, meaning you've got to take actions that are pleasing to the Lord. You have to do things. You have to take your your free will and make it obey the word of God. You've got to make your body do what it doesn't want to do and obey God. You have to make your mind obey God. Your your spirit man already wants to obey God. In fact, the Bible says, although the outward man is perishing, the inward man is being renewed day by day. So your spirit man, according to Paul, as he wrote to the Corinthians in the second letter, he said, your spirit man is renewed every single day, every day. So your spirit man's made new. When you wake up every morning, it's brand new. However, your mind and your flesh pose a problem because your mind has to be renewed actively. God renews your spirit man, but you are required to renew your mind. If you're taking notes, if you're tweeting anything, if you're posting anything on your story, put this down as a note today. God renews your spirit but you are required to renew your mind. God renews your spirit, but you're required to renew your mind. How does one renew the mind? Well, the Bible tells us how in the book of Ephesians, it says that we uh, renew it or make it holy and clean, washing it 
by the water of the word. That's how God makes his body clean, washing it by the water of the word. So the word of God will renew your mind. The word of God will renew your mind. So you have a spirit that's renewed daily, but you've got a mind that you have to renew daily. And then Paul said this regarding the flesh in 1 Corinthians 9, 27. He said, I have to put my body under on a daily basis so that after having preached to other people at the end of my life, I won't become a castaway. The King James says, but really it means I won't become disqualified or a reprobate. One translation, a reprobate. So Paul's saying that I can be in the ministry, preaching to thousands of people, seeing people saved, healed, and delivered. But if I don't make my body do what God wants it to do, I could get to the end of my life and find out that I'm disqualified. That's a very, very interesting thought. And Paul further taught the Galatians this in Galatians 5.17. He said, the flesh is at war with the spirit. Your flesh, I don't care how long you've been saved, your flesh is constantly at war with your spirit. Many of you, you know that to be true. You know it to be true. That your flesh is always fighting against your spirit. Your flesh wants to do one thing, spirit wants to do another. Spirit desires to please God, your flesh desires to please itself. So you understand as well as I do that it's going to take some discipline that's, that, you know, obviously it helps to be filled with the Holy Spirit, but we've got to take actions to make holy choices. But without question, from what we saw from Jesus and Peter and Paul, it is possible for every believer to live from this point forward and never sin again without question. You could live the rest of your life empowered by the Holy Ghost and you can take actions and take steps to put yourself in a position where you'll never sin again. Well, let's talk about this. How do you take actions? Uh, You know, what can you do? That's how I'm going to kind of finish this podcast. What can you do actively to make sure that you don't sin? What steps can you take as a believer to ensure that you will not sin? fall into sin. Well, let me break it down to you like this. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs chapter 24 and verse 10, if you faint in the day of adversity or temptation, your strength is small. If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Then let me take you to Ephesians chapter six and read you what the apostle Paul said to that church. He said, finally, be strong in the Lord. Now, stop right there and compare Proverbs 24 to Ephesians 6. The writer of Proverbs said, if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. So what does Paul do? He encourages the church, be strong in the Lord. You know what that means? If he had to command them to be strong, that means it's possible to be weak in the Lord and in the power of his might. Because you don't have to command somebody to do something that's automatic. So when Paul said, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, that means that he knew it would be possible for believers to possibly be weak in the Lord. And then he tells us how to be strong in the Lord. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. 
because we don't we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and authorities and against cosmic powers over the present darkness and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. He said, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day or the day of temptation. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. What is truth? The word of God. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness, that's holy living. And as shoes for your feet, put on the uh, readiness given by the gospel of peace. What is the gospel? It's the word. And in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. How does faith come? By hearing the word which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation. What is that? Righteousness or holiness. And the sword of the spirit, which is the what? Word of God. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. Now, I want to now show you how to stay in a place where you can continue to live free from sin for the rest of your life. When I was in Bible school, I literally had somebody come up to me and tell me, you know, I pray every night for forgiveness. I said, you do? Oh man, yeah. I pray every night that God will forgive me of sins that I don't even know I committed. I said, hold up, hold up. Sins that you don't even know you committed? He was like, oh yeah, man. We sin all the time and we don't even know we're sinning. What? I said, we sin all the time and don't know we're sinning? He looked at me like I had two heads. Like, I, like, because I was a Bible school student, I should have known that. He was like, yeah, man, we sin all the time, and we don't even know we're sinning half the time. I looked at him, I said, if that's true, if we sin all the time and don't know we're sinning, then the Holy Spirit sucks at his job. He looked at me like I had blasphemed heaven. I said, because the Bible says that when the Holy Spirit comes, he, can, he comes to convict the world of sin and the, and the righteous of their righteousness. I said, one of his main jobs is to convict according to scripture and that he would lead us and guide us into all truth. The Bible tells us that. I said, if you're telling me that you can be a child of God and sin and not even know you sinned, it's because the Holy Spirit did not do his job. And that's not how the Holy Spirit works. The Holy Spirit is effective. And he was sent as our comforter, our guide, our helper. He always convicts. He's always pulling people to Jesus. No, we don't sin and not know it. If if you're sinning and you don't know you're sinning, you need to get saved. You need to get saved. People that sin, that have Christ on the inside of them, are convicted of sin. There's conviction there. And that leads us to repentance. But how do we get to the place where we could never sin again? Looking at the armor of God, you can see it's made up of two elements, righteousness and the word. And then Paul concludes by saying, pray at all times with with prayer and supplication. So two things I want to show you that'll keep you free from sin. And uh, you may have heard me teach on this before. It bears repeating here. Number one, you've got to fill your heart with God's word. If you don't have a plan to read God's word on a daily basis, then you've got to make a plan. I've said this on the podcast many times. You know, whatever you've got to do, three chapters of the New Testament a day, six chapters, nine chapters gives it to you every single month. Three chapters, you've read the New Testament every four months, or excuse me, every quarter. So make a plan. Cut something else out. of. If you think you don't have enough time to read God's word, cut something else out of your life or wake up earlier and read God's word. 
because it's life or death. Uh, David wrote in Psalm 119 and verse 11, Lord, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against God. I've hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against God. The word is what washes your mind. It's what puts that power on the inside of you. The word is an empowerment. You've got to fill yourself with the mighty word of God. It is the light unto your path. It's a light unto your path. It's a light shows you which way to go so you don't make mistakes. And then number two, Jesus once again told his disciples, Matthew 26, 41, they're in the garden of Gethsemane praying. They're sleeping. He wakes them up, says, watch and pray that you may not uh, fail in the day of temptation for the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You don't want to fall into temptation? Pray. You don't want to fall into temptation? Pray. Once in a small gathering of ministers that Billy Graham was teaching, they asked him, uh, he was going to tell them how to do great things for God. He had three points. He was going to show them how to get where he had gotten and, to, oh, and they were ready, pens and paper at ready, ready to scribble notes furiously. He said, point one, pray. Point two, pray. Point three, pray. If you want to live a powerful life for God, pray. Jesus spent hours and hours in prayer. I've heard people literally say on Christian television recently, God doesn't want us to pray for long periods of time. He wants to pray, wants us to pray, pray uh, short, faith-filled prayers. That's ridiculous. Jesus prayed for hours. Sometimes he would pray all through the night. Disciples prayed all through the night multiple times. Prayed for long periods of time. In fact, in Acts chapter 3, they were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer. So they had an, a, a standard hour of prayer on a daily basis. So, you know, prayer is important. Prayer gives you power. Prayer empowers you to live free from sin. And so we've got to pray. We've got to read the word of God because here's the thing. You, it is not only is it possible, it's an expectation of God that his children live free from sin. It's not just a possible, not just something we're philosophically debating whether or not it's possible for it to happen. It's a command in scripture, as we read Peter say. The one who called you is holy, so you must be holy in your actions. Now, I'm not saying this. You know, say, well, you're putting unrealistic expectations on people and just discouraging them. No, 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 no. We're not putting unrealistic expectations on people. It, it, if it was unrealistic, it's not something God would have put on his church. And it's not something that's put out there to condemn people or to, or to put people in a place where they're discouraged. No, if you've made a mistake, just repent and get right back on track. But understand that we don't need in our generation to have this loose opinion of sin, like sin's not a big deal or sin doesn't matter. It is a big deal and it does matter. People running around just like doing whatever they want to do and wondering why that, you know, it's funny how people all want revival to come, but they don't want to live in a way that would bring revival. People are always like, oh, God, pour out your spirit. Like, God, God doesn't just use anybody. Study the New Testament and the Bible teaches us that there are vessels of honor and vessels of dishonor, vessels of gold and vessels of clay. And he said, if you'll keep yourself pure and separated and not live a life of sin, you'll be a vessel of gold that I can use for every good work. And if we want God to use us in a mighty way, we've got to keep ourselves free from a life of sin. It's not just a suggestion. It's not a philosophical debate. It is an expectation of God himself who said, be holy because I am holy.
See, I want to pray for you, everyone that's, that's, that's listening today, that God would put a hatred in your heart for sin. I want God to put a hatred in your heart. You know, one of the reasons that the Bible says that Job was so blessed, the re, one of the reasons Job was so blessed is the Bible says he was a perfect and upright man who loved what was good and hated what was evil. He loved what was good and he hated what was evil. God likes it when his children hate evil, hate evil. In fact, did you know David said to God, Lord, I have hated your enemies with a perfect hatred. I have hated your enemies, Lord, with a perfect hatred. And that was a man after God's own heart. God wants us to hate what is evil. I'm not talking about hating people. I'm talking about hating sin, hating unrighteousness, things that would destroy your life. Sin's a killer, kills everything it touches, kills your body, kills your relationships. You ever seen somebody that's lived on meth for the last 10 years? That sin is killing their physical body. Have you ever seen somebody that's sexually promiscuous that just sleeps around all the time? That You know, STDs are being passed around America, young and old ages, by the way. Recent reports have come back. STDs now are rampant in retirement villages across Florida and in America. Sin is killing people's bodies, kills their minds, kills their relationships, kills their future, kills their career, kills their jobs. You look at what's been going on through Hollywood. You know, all these people being outed. They've been living, you know, living these lives, harassing other people, sexually harassing and, 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 uh, all, all these things that are going on and it's all coming out and, and careers that people have worked their entire life to obtain are being destroyed because of sin, lives of sin. Look what happened to Tiger Woods and others like him. Life of sin kills your entire future. Everything that you worked so hard to build is destroyed because of sin. Sin's a killer and it kills everything it touches. I'm gonna pray for you now that God gives you a hatred for sin and a love for what is holy and a love for what is righteous. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for every man and every woman listening to this podcast today. I pray, Lord, that you'd give them a supernatural love for what is holy, a supernatural love for what's righteous and what's good, and a hatred for sin, a hatred for what's evil, just like you did with Job, Lord, loved what was good and hated what was evil. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us a desire to please you like we've never had a desire to live lives that are pleasing to you. Take actions that are pleasing to you in the mighty name of Jesus. We thank you for that. Give you glory and praise in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Listen, thank you for listening again today. I want to encourage you to jump over to miraclewordu.com. Check out the courses. I'm so excited. Many people are telling us how much they love it. One of my favorite uh, pieces of feedback to get is this. I've been in church for many years. I've never heard these things taught in my life. We're equipping new saints, hungry people to do what they're called to do before Jesus comes back. And I know it'll be a blessing to you. Once again, thank you for everybody that's sharing. Thank you for those of you that are contacting me. If you have questions, if you have comments, I love to get them. So just send them to us. You can send me a direct question right on Twitter at T Shuttlesworth is my username. If you'd like to contact me on Twitter, if you want to send me a direct message on Instagram, it's at Ted Shuttlesworth. Obviously, you can send it through Facebook or our website, miracleword.com. I love you guys so much. Thanks for listening. 
And don't forget until next week, goodness and mercy are following you for the rest of your life. I'll talk to you very soon. We would love for you to join us in a live service. To find out when Ted Shuttlesworth Jr. will be near you, please visit our website at www.miracleword.com.